So are you a uh, maple syrup person? Now, I'm not talking about, you know, the big, tall, skinny plastic bottles that you see at the grocery store. Not that kind of syrup. I'm talking about pure maple syrup. Now, how would you know the difference? Well, here's what you do. Grab the bottle at the grocery store, turn it on the back, and read the ingredients. If there's words in Pig Latin that you can't pronounce, then that is not pure maple syrup. But if you turn it on the back and you see two words, maple and syrup, you're good. That is pure maple syrup. So where does pure maple syrup come from? Well, it comes from tree sap. (laughs) That sounds tasty, right? Well, what happens is around March and April, the sap is gathered from the trees. And this sap is is a little different than the kind of stuff you may find on the hood of your car that you don't like. This is kind of a a clear, kind of watery type of thing that comes out of the tree. And it's about 2% sugar. And then what happens is they they take that sap and, and they boil it. And they keep boiling and keep boiling until that watery stuff evaporates off. And the water's gone. And then it gets thick and thick and thick. And then finally it's right there with that good old thick, rich maple syrup. It takes 40 gallons of sap to make one gallon of maple syrup. That is some serious sap. It's also some expensive sap. A couple of months ago, a guy in Canada was sentenced for stealing more than 500,000 gallons of maple syrup from a warehouse. It was about 10,000 barrels of maple syrup that he stole. Those barrels were worth more than $14 million. (laughs) That is some sticky liquid gold right there. That is amazing. The most amazing thing, though, is there is some sap that's actually more valuable than that. Some sap that is sweeter than the sweetest maple syrup that you'll ever find on the earth. But you have to be tapped in to the right tree. So what kind of sap are we talking about? Let's find out. Psalm 23, verse 3. The Lord is my shepherd. He restores my soul. Sap carries water and nutrients throughout the tree. So we could say that sap to a tree is kind of like blood to the body. If blood gets cut off to your arm, that's not a good thing. You need the the blood to be restored. That blood blood flow needs to be restored. In a similar way, if if sap stops flowing to a leaf, that sap flow needs to be restored. Because if it's not, then what's going to happen is the the leaf is going to wither and it's going to die. Now, that's supposed to happen in the fall. It's not supposed to happen in the spring. And so the sap flow needs to continue. The sap flow can't stay cut off. So what does all this sappy talk have to do with God being our shepherd? Well, listen again very closely to that one word that King David says at the end. He restores my soul. You know, that phrase kind of has a comfy feel to it, right? I mean, if you read it at first glance, it kind of feels like, you know, oh, God, he, he gave me a, a week at a private ocean bungalow in, in Bora Bora, you know, with unlimited bang bang shrimp and unlimited white chocolate bonbons. Oh, yeah, he, he restores my soul. This is great. But it's really not a vacation word, this restoring here. It's a word that means to convert, to turn back, to refresh. It's a different picture than what we would normally think of. And and in keeping with the language of Psalm 23, the imagery is a sheep straying away from the flock. 
a sheep that's, that's been cut off by its strain, that's wandering, and it needs to be brought back into the fold with the flock. It needs to be put back on the right path. Now, the good thing is we aren't like sheep, right? Man, we never stray, right? We never wander. We never get off the path. We, we never stray away from God or stray away from the Bible or stray away from His truth. We, we never stray away from praying and witnessing. We never find other things to do than to go to church or Bible studies or volunteer for VBS or, or go on mission trips. We never, ever, ever stray, right? Well, hopefully you hear my sarcasm because I stray, and you stray, and we stray. Everybody strays. You may stray for 30 minutes. You may stray for an hour. You may stray for a few days. You may stray for a few weeks. You may stray for much longer, but we all stray. Somebody might say, well, so what? What's the big deal? I mean, what's the big deal if we stray? Well, strain cuts off spiritual flow in your life. So you don't want to stray. You, you don't want that flow cut off. We're walking really slowly through Psalm 23 on Sunday mornings, but I encourage you to read the psalm before and after. Because Psalm 22, 23, and 24 are a trilogy that King David wrote. In Psalm 23, we're seeing him very clearly tell us that, that he's remembering that God is his shepherd. That God's not going to fail him. God's not going to forsake him. God's not going to let him down. In Psalm 24, he's just shouting with praise. He's, he's so excited in confidence that God really is the king of glory. That God really is the one who was and is and is to come. And he's the only one. But those are the sequels. The original movie in Psalm 22 is full of anguish. It's full of anxiety. Listen to what David writes at the beginning of Psalm 22, verse 2. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Ever felt that verse? Ever felt that way? Are you feeling that way maybe today? This sense that God's not listening, that God's not answering, that God's not there. Ultimately, Psalm 22 is a, a perfect prophecy, a, a foretelling, a foreshadowing about Jesus and the cross. But the language is not language that would be foreign to David's life. David, from the time that he was a boy, faced great danger, great hardship. He, he was desperately in need of God many times. And so language like this is not surprising. Listen to verse 11 and 19. Be not far from me. Be not far off. In other words, he's writing, keep my spiritual blood flowing. Keep my spiritual sap flowing. God, please don't let me get cut off from you. Be not far from me. But how would that even happen? I mean, it sounds a little strange, right? How could we be cut off from God? How is that even possible? Mike Iaconelli tells the story of the community that he lived in and, and how it had a ton of, of cattle ranches. And he said every now and then a, a, a cow would get out and, and get, get lost, It'd be wandering out on its own and have to go get rescued. He said if you ask one of the ranchers in the community how those cows got out, he may say something like this. Well, the cow starts nibbling on a tuft of grass, and then it nibbles on that one near a hole in the fence, then it sees a tuft on the other side, and it goes through to nibble it, and then the next one, and the next one, and the next thing you know, 
the cow has nibbled itself into being lost. See, cutting off our spiritual flow doesn't always have to involve a machete. Sometimes we can nibble ourselves away from God. Slowly, but surely. We can stray and wander in small ways, and before long, we're on the wrong side of the fence and far away from the herd and the flock. Octavius Winslow said this, The soul departures of the believer are from a God we have known, from a Savior we have loved, from pastures in which we have roamed with delight. We have tasted that the Lord was gracious. We have heard his voice. We have fed at the shepherd's hand. We have walked in the footsteps of the flock. We have rested where they lie down at noon on the banks of God's river of love. And yet, we wandered. Why? Why, why do we wander? Why, why is it that we are so prone to wander? Well, there's a lot of reasons. I'm just going to give three. We are prone to wander, and we wander because the power of sin is great. This is what Jesus said in John 8, 34. Everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Slave. That's a strong word. Jesus doesn't use it by accident. You see, sin is not just doing bad things. Sin is not just thinking bad things. Sin is not just having bad morals. The language the Bible uses for sin is trespassing. Trespassing, wrongful entry, being somewhere, going somewhere, we should not be, we should not go. Somebody might say, well, what if I didn't know I was trespassing? I mean, what if I didn't see the no trespassing sign? Okay, does that mean you aren't trespassing just because you didn't see the sign? Think of it this way. Imagine that you're hiking one day and, and you're down you know, on a designated trail and you go, I think I'm going to wander a little bit. And next thing you know, imagine that you wander over to Briscoe Darling or Ernest T. Bass's land. All right. Now they may not give a lick that you didn't see their sign. They might fill you with buckshot or they might get Sheriff Taylor to come write you a fine and charge you some money. Now hopefully what you would want is Sheriff Taylor to Talk them down and calm them down so that Barney doesn't have to pull out that one bullet from his pocket and everything gets out of control after that. But the picture is this, that, that even if you accidentally trespass, you're still trespassing and you need to be saved and rescued from the penalty of trespassing. Somebody might say, but that's only true if you get caught. You don't need to be saved, you don't need to be rescued from the penalty if nobody catches you trespassing. The wisest and richest man who ever lived said this, Proverbs 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. Look, we can fight it, we can deny it, we can ignore it. But at the end of the day, when it comes to sin, when it comes to sinful trespasses, we're always caught. Always. There is no way to get away from it. Most of the time, though, we, we know we're sinning, right? Most of the time, we know we're trespassing. It, it has nothing to do with not seeing the sign. We know exactly what we're doing. We know we're wandering from the fold of God. And Jesus says in his language, 
that that makes us a slave to sin, that we get enslaved to sin. See, sin is, is not just thinking bad things. Sin is a, a deep, powerful, inside desire to wander from God and to listen to all kinds of different lies that tell us there is something more satisfying and more desirable than God. Sin is a rebellious trespassing, and it's a dangerous trespassing, and sin comes with a price tag. And the price tag is death, eternal death, death that never ends, death that you never quit feeling, death that you never quit experiencing. That is the promise. But sin doesn't advertise death. No, sin has great marketing. Sin always advertises pleasure. But it can only ultimately deliver death. Sin has a lot of power. And the power of sin causes us to wander. It's not just the power of sin, it's also the power of stress causes us to wander. Erin Wheeler is a wife and mom in Fayetteville, Arkansas. A couple months ago she wrote this. We've all had those days. You know, the ones where you crawl into bed, makeup still on, wondering if it's okay not to brush your teeth just this once. All the while you wonder what actually happened to the minutes that evaporated into history. Ever had one of those days? Have one of those days this week? I did. I mean, I didn't leave my makeup on, but you know, you get the idea. And we, we have those days, right? And we, we, we have those days where it's just hard. It is exhausting. It is, it is difficult. It is stressful. Days that are full of anxiety. Dr. Robert Leahy is a psychologist and author. He works in the area of anxiety. And he said this, The average high school kid today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the early 1950s. Read that again. The average high school kid today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the early 1950s. He wrote that nine years ago. So just generally speaking, do you think our culture and our society has gotten less or more stressful in the last nine years? Anxiety is a powerful, powerful tool. The anxiety to, to have a, a decent marriage, to have good kids that make good grades, to have good kids that, that go to good schools, to have good kids that get good jobs, to, to have a good job, to, to have a, a nice house and a nice car and a nice yard and a nice retirement, to have a, a good name at work, to have a good name at church, to have a, a good name in the community, to, to have good response times for every phone call and voicemail and email and text and, and social media comment that goes out there. Yeah, our, our world is full of stress. Our, our world is, is full of ways to create anxiety in our lives. And what stress does is it begins to tempt us. And it begins to tempt us and convince us that God is not that important. Or that God is not a good shepherd. Or that God is not listening. Or that God doesn't care. Stress and anxiety will do that to you. We wander because the power of sin is great. We wander because the power of stress is great. And we also wander because the power of sorrow is great. Robert Morgan says this, Our lives are full of loss. Many of us have experienced losing our youthful vigor to the aging process or foregoing our assets to economic ruin, losing our loved ones to death, 
our health to disease, our hopes to disappointments. Everything we have on earth will be eventually lost, and loss brings grief. Well, thanks, Dow. Glad I came to church today. Appreciate that. It's true, though, right? But this is what Morgan goes on to say. Were it not for the good shepherd who continually restores our souls, where would we be? See, here's the fantastic news. In the middle of all of that loss, in the middle of all of that stress, in the middle of all of that sin, in the middle of all that sorrow, there is this God, this God who is unexplainable, this God who is unbelievable, this God who is unimaginable, this God that is full of grace and mercy and majesty and power and authority that we cannot comprehend. And that God, in the middle of all of those things, He does something that only he can do. Your husband can't do it. Your wife can't do it. Your kids cannot do it. Your hobbies cannot do it. Sports cannot do it. Money cannot do it. There's nothing. And there's no one who can do this one thing that God does. God restores our souls. He restores our souls. In the middle of the junk, he converts. He turns back. He refreshes. It's what he does. It's who he is. But what does that mean, he restores our souls? Well, if you read through the Bible, you, you don't see the idea of a soul just being like, you know, your, your attitude or your emotions. The Bible's picture of the soul is, is everything. Mind, body, heart, spirit, activities, uh, affections attitudes, emotions. I mean, everything about who you are, everything is connected to your soul, your desires, your delights. And so because the nature of how the Bible talks about the soul, that changes what the gospel does. You see, the gospel, according to everything that's in the scripture, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not just a lucky charm. It's not just a religious philosophy. It's not just a a psychological crutch. It's not just a, a key to having your best life today. No, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is a rescue for your entire being. The gospel is a rescue for all that you are. And to repent and yield to Jesus, what that means is it comes with a price. But the price is paid and and a gift is purchased. And so rather than death, to have your soul restored by God, to receive salvation from Jesus means that you get life. Eternal life, life that never ends, life that you never quit feeling, life that you never quit experiencing. That's the gospel. Someone might say that sounds great. Everlasting life, life eternal. That's super. But I got stuff today. So so how does this happen today? How, How does God restore my soul today? How can I get this now? Well, I have one answer to that, and and it's going to sound super oversimplified, but it's super, super, super true. And that's this. Here's the answer. Sip the sap. (laughs) But that's how God restores your soul right now in this moment today is to sip the sap. So what does that mean? Well, a few psalms back in Psalm 19, David writes this. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. 
See, the, the holy scriptures contain the most valuable sap in the universe. This is true liquid gold for your soul. God's word has a power and an authority that no other book has. It's the work of his spirit inside of these words. Just a few sentences back in, in Psalm 19, verse 7, David writes this, The law of the Lord is perfect. It's perfect. And look what it does. It restores the soul. It restores, it revives, it refreshes, it converts, it turns back. That means that, that God's perfect, complete truth found in the pages of the Bible can change and transform your life in any given moment, no matter what your circumstances may be. Now, I'm not making that as some kind of guaranteed promise that you can take me to court and say, well, Dow said the Bible was going to help me, and it didn't. Listen to me. I'm giving you a promise from the eternal God. The one true God says that his word never returns void. The one true God says that his word is full of power and authority and grace. It doesn't need a prequel. It doesn't need a sequel. It is perfect. It is complete in and of itself. And why does that matter? Well, I answer that question by giving you the, the tale of two different songs. Some of you heard a song written about 100 years ago around that. And it has a little line, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. And in many ways, that is very, very true. Every day for a believer is a day closer to being with Jesus forever and being satisfied forever. So, yes, in a sense, every day is. But, but for those of us who are believers, I think we can all honestly say that there are some days with Jesus that aren't that sweet. <laughs> there are some days with Jesus that are really, really, really hard. I've shared these thoughts with you before, but I, I think they're very helpful and encouraging for our hearts today. John Piper writes this. Some days with Jesus, our disposition is as sour as raw persimmons. Some days with Jesus, we are so sad, we feel our heart will break open. Some days with Jesus, fear turns us into a knot of nerve ends. Some days with Jesus, we're so depressed and discouraged that between the garage and the house, we just want to sit down on the grass and cry. Yeah. If every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before, we wouldn't need to be revived. We wouldn't need to be restored. In other words, David would never have written this if he knew that life was always going to be peachy and perfect. No, he knew we would need to be restored. And so David's pointing us back and especially in Psalm 19, he's pointing us back to the truth of, of God's Word. That God's Word is, is the restoring tool that we need. Piper goes on. When Satan huffs and puffs and tries to blow out the flame of your joy, you have an endless supply of kindling in the Word of God. And even though there are days when we feel that every cinder in our soul is cold, yet if we crawl to the word of God and we cry out for ears to hear, the cold ashes will be lifted and the tiny spark of life will be fanned. Why? Because the Lord is our shepherd and he restores our souls. It's what he does. It's who he is. We sang these words a few moments ago, prone to wander. Lord, I, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Robert Robinson was about 22, 23 years old when he wrote those words to that hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. 
He'd been a Christian a couple of years, I think, at the time. And, and the words of the song, I mean, we sang it, is, is just powerful. Now, there's some measured accounts that say that as he grew and as he aged, that he began to stray from God's truth. He, he began to stray from sound doctrine, for lack of a better word. And there's a story. It's been told for years and years. It, it really can't be completely verified, but, but I think it's very encouraging and very challenging and very helpful. The story goes like this, that he was on a stagecoach one day, and there was a woman on the stagecoach with him, and, and she was reading through a hymn book, and she was humming along with the songs that she was reading through. And she stopped at one point, and, and she asked Robert Robertson, hey, do you know, do you know this song that I'm humming? And it says, as the story goes, that he turned to the woman, and Robinson said, ma'am, I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds, if I had them, to enjoy the feelings I had then. He actually was living out his hymn. He had wandered and strayed. His heart was broken. As the story goes, the woman in the stagecoach reminded him of, of that one line in his hymn that he wrote oh so many years ago, Streams of mercy never ceasing. And then she looked at him and she said, Sir, the streams are still flowing. They still are. And God still desires, still delights, still pursues, and still is passionate about restoring your soul. So I would say to my heart and to your heart, let us come to the Good Shepherd again and again and again because his streams of mercy never cease.